God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. You've probably heard the story about the legend of Achilles, the Greek mythical hero, was the great hero in Homer's Iliad. Now, Achilles had a very special secret about him. You see, when he was a little boy, his mother grabbed him by the heels and dipped him in the magical waters of the Styx River. And whatever the waters touched became invincible. So no wonder he was this great hero. In fact, in the first nine years of the Trojan War, he ravaged the countryside and captured 12 cities. Nobody could stop Achilles, but there was a secret. And the secret was that when his mother dipped him to the river Styx, the water did not touch his heel because she was hanging on to them. Well, that secret was found out. And the Trojan prince Paris launched an arrow in an ambush of Achilles. It is said that the god Apollo grabbed the arrow and guided it to that secret spot and it struck Achilles in the heel. He went down and then he died. Now why did I tell you that Greek myth? Because there's a powerful truth in that and we all know it, don't we? We've all heard about the Achilles heel. That is, we all have vulnerabilities in our life Achilles points that, well, when they get exposed, a lot of times we get in trouble because the evil one knows our weaknesses and fires his arrows of temptation and discouragement toward those weak places in our lives. Do you know the weak places in your life? Are you aware of the Achilles points in your life? You know, a lot of times we're more concerned about bragging about our strengths and we kind of forget about our weaknesses, but the evil one does not. And that's why Paul wrote these important words as we continue on talking about Ephesians 6. Here's what he said. He said, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, says Paul putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be able to fully be prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert 
and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul says, put on all of God's armor. Cover your whole self up. Leave nothing exposed to the evil one. Now what's so amazing about that passage of scripture, if you think about it, is that God is saying, look, I want you to wear my armor. God is giving us his armor to wear. That's absolutely amazing, isn't it? What a gift from God. He doesn't say, hey, go find some armor or, or try to come up with a way to protect yourself. He says, look, if you want to be invincible, wear my armor. Now, I was thinking about that, and I was reminded of a story that's well known in the Old Testament. You probably know it too. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know that story about David and Goliath? Well, before David gets on the scene, Goliath is coming out every day for 40 days taunting the armies of Israel. The Philistines are on one hill. The Israelites are on the other hill. There's a valley in between. And that giant comes out all suited up over nine feet tall, and he taunts the men who are all suited up on Israel's side with their armor, and he says, let's not just slaughter each other. You send out your champion to fight me, and winner takes all. If you guys win, if you kill me, then we will serve you. But if I kill your champion, you will serve us. And nobody had the courage to go out and face the giant. I probably wouldn't have either. Would you? But here comes David, the shepherd boy. He's come to check on the battle, which really isn't happening, and also to bring some supplies to see how his older brothers are doing. When he shows up, he hears Goliath doing this, and he, he asks some innocent questions like, who is this guy? Who is he to defy the armies of the living God? Why doesn't somebody get out there and do something about it? And of course, his older brother kind of makes fun of him. But he persists, and word gets back to Saul. Now, I imagine it's something like this. Saul probably hears that there is a warrior in Israel who's willing to take on the giant. He's very confident he'll win. Saul must have been really encouraged by that until he saw David. And when he saw David, oh my goodness, he must have just been so discouraged. You're a boy. He's a veteran. He's a, he's a war hero. He's a giant. He'll slaughter you. But David says, no, he won't. David says, you know, I have fought off the predators that tried to kill our family sheep, and God gave me the strength to overcome them. And he's going to do the same thing with that giant. Well, eventually Saul just gives up, and he realizes he has no other choice. So he goes and he gets his kingly armor. And he says to David, here, put my armor on. And David tries the armor, and it just does not fit right. It's clumsy, it's awkward, and finally he takes it off and he says, I can't fight that giant in this, in this armor. I, I don't know, it doesn't fit me right, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And he just grabs a sling and grabs some stones, and he goes out there as the shepherd boy that he is. And he takes on the giant. When the giant sees him coming, the giant mocks him. He says, I'm going to tear you to pieces. But I want you to listen carefully. And I'm going to read this passage. Because a lot of times we think that David beat the giant with his sling and a stone. Or as Malcolm Gladwell puts it in his book about this, you know, he says it was because, you know, David went out there and didn't fight a conventional battle. Now, some of those things are true, but here's really the reason why David won. Let's look at the text. It says, David replied to the Philistine, You came to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you, he says, in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord, he says, 
will conquer you and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. So you probably notice I underline a lot of things about God. He goes on, he says, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear, and we could add sling. This is the Lord's battle, David says, and he will give you to us. Now look at those words for just a moment, because the way David beats Goliath is David puts on the armor of God. It is God who beats Goliath. He uses the shepherd boy, but it is David's absolute trust, implicit trust in God. It is the armor of God that gives him the capacity to conquer this giant. So what is the armor of God that you and I are invited to put on? Before we ask that question, though, I want to I ask a different question. I want to ask this to those of us who call ourselves believers. And the question is, why? Why do we need this armor of God? I mean, after all, we have been forgiven of our sins. We have asked Christ into our life. His Holy Spirit has come to indwell our lives. I mean, shouldn't we, based on all of that, be able to live a victorious kind of Christian life? I mean, let's be honest. It is a struggle sometimes to consistently live victoriously in the Lord, isn't it? I struggle with it at times. How about you? So why is that? I mean, if sin's been dealt with, why do we still have these struggles? And as I was thinking about this message and, you know, spiritual warfare, this thought came to my mind. I, I think this is really behind our vulnerabilities, if you want to jot it down. And that is, I think it's because we have a fear in our life. We have a fear about the loss of ourself. In other words, what I think drives our vulnerability and our weaknesses is fear and loss of self. Now, I want to share with you an illustration that really dramatizes that for a moment. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 26. It is a, a difficult scene because Jesus has conveyed to his disciples that he's going to be arrested He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. Now, he's told them that before. They haven't really wanted to listen, but it's finally kind of sinking in. And Peter responds and says to Jesus, not on my watch. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. He says, I will never, I will never deny you. I won't desert you. And if I have to, I'm going to die with you, Lord. Now, in Luke's account of it, Luke says that Jesus looks at Peter and says to him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift your soul. But I have prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brother. In other words, what Jesus is saying, listen, I'm interceding for you, Peter. You don't know what you're up against. You're, uh, you're so unaware of how weak you really are. You're always boasting, you're always bragging, you're always thinking about your strengths. But listen, you're not going to stand with me. When it comes down to it, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be thinking about yourself. And how do I rescue me out of this situation? And what's true for Peter is true for all of us. Even in our closeness with Jesus. You know, sometimes, sometimes fear comes at us like a giant. The arrows that Satan fires at us come at us like giants, right? Like, like you wake up the next day, you go to the doctor and you find out 
you have advanced cancer. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Or that person you thought you were going to marry your fiancé, without you realizing it, somehow you didn't know. They, they were getting uncomfortable and they just tell you, I don't think it's going to work. Or you go to work and your job is gone. But you know, a lot of times, the way fear approaches us is extremely subtle. We don't even realize what's happening to us. I mean, the enemy doesn't always come to our front door. Sometimes he comes through a window that's been left open or unlocked. Let me explain to you what I mean. Let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go to the garden scene. Let's go to that scene where Eve and Adam are there and the evil one comes, the devil comes. And he approaches Eve and he says to her or asks her, has God said that you're not to eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? Of course, God never said that. But he's just trying to get them to start to question God. And she says, no, we can eat the uh, fruit of the trees of the garden. We just can't eat the fruit from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can't even touch it. Of course, God never said that. But boy, she's kind of looking at that now with a little bit of, what feels like maybe some envy, some desire. And the devil says to them, listen, God's keeping something from you. Take that fruit and eat it, and you'll be an Elohim. You will be a God. Don't let God define for you what is good and evil. You define for yourself what is good and evil. Man, that sounds like today, doesn't it? Like we all want to run around defining for ourselves what is good and evil. That's what our culture is into. And so she takes that fruit. And we've been living a disaster ever since as the children of Adam and Eve. And we all can relate to what happened to them because, you know, a lot of times... What makes us vulnerable, what makes us weak, what makes us susceptible to the enemy's arrows and what cripples us and oftentimes brings destruction into our lives and into our families and our relationships is this fear that somehow if I follow the ways of God, I'm going to be missing out. And somehow God doesn't really have the best for me. And doing this or having this or fulfilling my desires is what will really completely uh, complete me. And that's just insane when you think about it. But at the root of every temptation we face and then fall for is this idea that God, God's keeping something that if I did this, had that, tried this, I'd really be fulfilled. I mean, how, how is temptation coming your way these days? Is it coming like a Goliath? Or is it just subtly kind of working its way in from different angles? See, that's what this new series is all about. Overcoming evil, the victory. We spent the last several weeks talking about evil itself. Now we're going to learn how to overcome evil and how we can overcome these weak spots in our life and fend off the arrows of the evil one and live a life that's consistent and victorious. Not perfect, but have some measure of being able to overcome evil and the evil one. And I hope you want that as much as I want that. All right, now let's, let's answer that question I asked a few minutes ago. And that is, what does it mean to put on the armor of God? Let's answer it. Here we go. Ready? To put on God's armor is to actively, big word, don't forget it, is to actively and completely submit my will to God's will in every matter of my life, in every situation of my life. Now let that soak in and think about it. 
to put on God's armor is to actively and completely submit my will to God's will in everything. In everything. And every day, putting on and keeping on that armor that God has given to us. Now, don't misunderstand me. <laughs> there is still a battle that's going to happen. It's not like the enemy goes, oh, no, she put on God's armor. Let's go harass somebody else. No. The enemy just kind of steps back, and watches and waits patiently for a little pride to get in the way, for a little lust to work itself up. So we take off a piece of the armor and then comes the arrow. I mean, the classic example of that, unfortunately, is David. I mean, David could trust God to take down a nine-foot giant. David could trust God to go out and defeat armies of Philistines. But he couldn't trust God. He wouldn't trust God to help him conquer the lion of lust in his person, in his being. Instead of going out to war like he should have with all the other soldiers, remember he stayed home. And he looked out over the veranda and there he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. And he decided evidently that because he was king of the realm that everything and everyone belonged to him. He didn't want to deny his, himself. He, he didn't want to deny his own pride. There's a fear there of looking weak. He has to be strong. He has to be the man. And... What a mess he created for himself and for the rest of his family because of that sin. The enemy is so subtle. He waits and he works and he waits and he works until we have a weak moment. Until we give in to our desires, into temptation. And he fires that arrow. I've been reading a little bit about... Uh, uh, a book written on um, spiritual warfare and wearing the armor of God. It was written in the 1600s. It was not easy reading. It was written by a man by the name of Gurnau, uh, William Gurnau. He was a Puritan, but he has something very profound to say. Here's what he said. It requires more prowess and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army of men. One more time. It requires more prowess and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army of men. And it is so true, isn't it? I mean, look at yourself. Think about yourself. I know it's true in my own life. I can't tell you how many times I have my quiet time and I just spend time with God and I just wake up and I just go, this should be so simple. I get off my knees I get off a of prayer and I just say, okay, this is not hard. Just trust God and obey. And I do great for the first half an hour. <laughs> and I start life. And it's just amazing how hard it is to stay surrendered to God, to stay yielded to God in every area of my life. Now, let's, I just want to kind of bring up some of those feelings and, so that we really are grappling with the real issue here. So for some of you, I'm going to take it way back to your memory. Do you remember when you were a, a teenager? And you were still living under the authority of your, 
of your parents. Remember those days? I remember those days. I grew up in the 70s, and my mom and dad were on the cutting edge of the early 1950s. We clashed about so many of the guidelines that they wanted me to live by, and some were honestly ridiculous. Others were not. But I was so fearful not fitting in with my peers. I wanted to fit in, and I wanted to experience what they were experiencing. And yet I knew I was supposed to listen to them. And I can still feel that battle raging back and forth in me. Man, it's hard in those moments to yield to your parents. Hard stuff. How about those of you who are married? Do you always agree with your spouse? Does your spouse ever irritate you just a, a little bit? And in those moments, do you sometimes want to say something that's unkind or negative? Ever you just kind of want to start a little fight because you're agitated? Now, I don't know if this is true for females, but I think this is true for males. When that happens in my life, there's like this little signal that goes off in my brain. It's like a really bright red light, and it says, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't go there. And I hear that, right? I hear it. But there's something inside of me that's saying, but you need to say it. You don't have to put up with that. Let her know what you think. She's not in charge. I mean, am I the only one that experiences that sometimes? And the closer I get to that line, the louder that noise gets. This is not going to end well. You know in the end you're going to have to say you're sorry. And yet I will still sometimes open my big mouth. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Why can't I, why can't I get a grip on this? It is so hard. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I just, I just wish God would just grab my tongue and just stop me, right? Or I wish God would get a hold of somebody else and change them. Or, or that God would just somehow, you know, like, magically enable me to overcome these, these thoughts or these ideas or these desires. But to put on the armor of God means that I have got to learn to submit those things to His authority. Or to put it another way, we could say it like this. The armor of God is literally a putting on of the privileges and benefits of the gospel. Say, what? Yeah. See, here's what oftentimes happens to us. I think a lot of times we look at what God tells us, and we, we see God as kind of being mean. Look at all God's rules. Why does he make life so hard? And that's the wrong way to think about God's words. the wrong way to think about what God has given to us. God's given us his armor. God's given us a supernatural capacity to honor him and to glorify him. But we've got to use that. We've got to exercise that. We can't just sit there and say, God, somehow make me do it. I mean, that's why we're using, why God, why Paul uses this metaphor of of a soldier, because he's trying to get something through to us. My son, Tim, uh, was, I guess always, is a Marine. And he served for eight years in the Marines. He had two combats in Afghanistan and a secret mission in the Persian Gulf. And when his group was together, they would get orders. And when they got those orders, they were not allowed to question the orders. 
Can you imagine an army where the commanding officer comes out and says, all right, men and women, here are your orders. And a private raises their hand and says, uh, excuse me, sir, um, could you explain how you all arrived at this idea that we should go into combat and do it this way? See, there's a, a group of us that would like to form a couple of different committees and study this. If you give us about two weeks, we'll take a look at it, and then we'll come back. We may offer you some alternative plans, or honestly, we may, not, we, we may just decide this is not the best option to go with. Can you imagine an army like that? I mean, it would fail. It would be defeated. And whoever suggests that would be court-martialed. You are in the army. It means that you signed up to basically take your orders and execute those orders, even if it feels like a suicide mission. In essence, what Paul is saying to us is, look, if you're going to put the armor of God on, you're taking orders from God. You're submitting to His will. No matter how you feel, no matter how you think. So, for instance, if my desires, if your desires are out of bounds with God's word in areas of sexuality, let's say, sex outside of marriage is wrong. No matter how strong those urges, no matter how big those desires, no matter if everybody else is doing it, I submit my will to God. Like a soldier. And I say, God, it's not about me, it's about you. I bring it under his authority. Or if there's somebody in my life that I can't stand, that's hurt me somehow, and, you know, I want to get even with them. What do I do when God says I'm supposed to love my enemies? In that moment, I have to submit myself to the will of God. That's what it means to put on the armor of God. I give him the battle. I don't own it. Or if God says that as a believer, I'm to submit to the authorities over me, even the unchristian authorities over me. That's not a suggestion. I mean, unless they're asking me to deny Christ or to burn my Bible or commit some heinous, immoral act, some sin, I'm to be submissive. Even if I don't like them. Even if they're not the right party. <laughs> I'm supposed to take those desires, that rebellion in me, that disagreement with me, and I'm supposed to submit it to God and, and say, God, I am your soldier. I am your servant. I'm submitting myself to you. That is so hard to do. That can be so hard to do. But here's the beautiful thing. When I do it, regardless of how I feel, when I act on God's truth, when I submit to his authority, something comes alive in me. Something activates itself in me. I love that story in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus and his followers are out on a boat and all of a sudden there's this horrendous storm. And some of these guys are veterans of the sea. So they knew that this was serious and they thought they were going to drown. And so Luke chapter 8, they go to find Jesus. He's sleeping in the hull of the boat. How can he sleep at a time like this? They wake him up and, he says, and they say, don't you care, we're going to drown. Now I love the response. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was calm. And he said to them, Where 
is your faith. He does not say to them, guys, you need to get more faith. He doesn't say to them, pray to the Father that he would give you increasing faith. Now he says, where's your faith? In other words, you've got some faith. Why aren't you exercising? You've been with me. You've seen what I'm doing. Why don't you exercise your faith in me? Same thing is true with the armor of God. God says, you've got my armor. Why aren't you using it? Or put it this way, putting on the armor of God is activating those benefits and those blessings and those privileges that he's given to you and me in Christ Jesus. See, you already have the armor. You don't need to go and get it. But what you need to do, what I need to do is activate it. Begin to use it. So in the coming weekends, what we're going to do is we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to take each piece of the armor that's been given to us. And obviously these are metaphors for what's already ours. And we're going to learn how to use them. How to activate them. And experience their power coming alive in us. And we're going to cover our vulnerabilities, and our weaknesses with God's strength and learn to live victoriously. Are you ready to take the journey? Are you ready to suit up? Are you ready to experience God's supernatural power working in you? He's given you his armor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much that you love us so much, that you have given us your very armor to wear so that, Lord, we can live victoriously, so we can overcome sin and temptation and the fiery darts that the evil one hurls at us. Oh, God, I pray in this new series, give us the faith and a confidence to believe that you have the best for us and that your way is the ultimate way. It's the right way. Thank you for sharing with us the benefits, the blessing, and the privilege of the power of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.